Um, a few years ago, uh, we as a staff team went through an exercise. In fact, wave at me if you've ever done the Strengths Finder survey thing, that some of you will have done that, yeah, some of your workplaces will have, and some of you will have loved it and gone, oh, I love it when somebody tells me, puts me in a box and says, these are your strengths. Some of you will have hated it and said, I don't like being put in a box. This is not for me. I, that does not. You say that that's me. That's not me at all. Uh, personally, I love these things. Um, I've pretty much done every survey there is out there to kind of categorize what I am and how I operate. Um, I, I actually just find real enjoyment in that process. And uh, a few years ago, we had a lady uh, called Jill Garrett who came and spent some time with us as a staff team. And she walked us through the strength finder. So we did the survey. She got the results back, and um, she talked us through them, what this means for us as individual staff members and how we work together. It's quite some time ago now. Now, one of the things she said that really has stuck with me ever since is she really um, kind of changed my thinking around this idea of strengths and weaknesses. So traditionally, we would probably all think about you know, strengths being good things and weaknesses being bad things. She said, I want you to forget that idea completely. I want to redefine what a strength is. And a strength, she said, is a strength is a dominant characteristic about you. It's something kind of not unique to you, but it's something that is, is a dominant characteristic of either your personality or how you're wired that has both positives and negatives. It has pros and cons. Um, so you might, you might be very aware of this in your own life, that sometimes your greatest strength also comes with a bit of a shadow side, a dark side. It's like, well, I'm really good at that, but it also has a, a dark side. You might think of some of the famous people over the years who have changed the world, and their greatest strength also is kind of their greatest weakness. It's kind of a, a two-edged sword. So the thing that enabled them to be really effective in whatever field they operate in also had a shadow side. And there were people who were kind of like, oh, that, didn't, that strength didn't work out so well for me. Her, the way she defined this, she tried to tell us, don't think of strengths good and bad. Strengths are dominant characteristics with both pros and cons. Now, uh, what she did as part of this process is she gave every one of us our top five strengths and said, these are your strengths. And there's a list of, I don't know how many, maybe 30, 40 different strengths. And she, and she told us what our top five were. One of mine, this will not be a surprise to some of you, one of mine is self-assurance. And um, so self-assurance, uh, she defined it, or they defined it, um, Gallup, who do the survey, they say self-assurance um, is those with, or they say this, those with self-assurance feel confident in their ability to take risks and manage their own lives. So for me, uh, this has worked throughout my entire life. I have been somebody who has operated with a self-assurance strength. It has some pros in that usually I will throw myself into kind of pretty much anything and think, well, I can probably figure it out. So if the children's hair needs cutting, I will think, well, how difficult can it be to cut hair? I'll give that a go. And the pro is I save us some money. The con is kind of obvious in that cutting hair is actually a skill and should be left to those with that skill who have practiced that skill. Um, or maybe it's, it's when you think we really need a new bathroom in our home. And I think, well, how difficult can that be? You know, ripping out an old bathroom, putting in a new one. And, um, well, yeah, we've six months without an upstairs bathroom and we're still nowhere near finished. That's the con, right? The pro is I've saved some money and, and I've enjoyed and I've learned and I kind of backed myself. Oh, I can learn that stuff. 
but it's taken about 20 times, well, it's not even finished yet, but it will take about 20 times longer than if we'd have just paid somebody to do it. Most of my life, my default kind of operating mode has been self-assurance. It's like, I can, you know, I'll back myself. I, I can figure it out. How difficult will it be? So that's applied to various kind of jobs throughout the years as well. So when I was a teenager, um, I grew up on a, on a farm, a dairy farm, and um, I thought, well, cows are really hard work, right? You have to get up really early and milk them. Sheep are easy, you just leave them in a field, and usually they survive. They sometimes just die, because that's what sheep do, um, for no reason. Um, but most of the time, they're fine in a field with some grass. So how, how hard can it be to keep sheep? So I bought two pet lambs, one for three pounds, one for three pounds fifty, and I started my own little flock. And, um, and I looked after them, and I sold them on to my parents, um, kind of friends for, for me, and made a little bit of profit. I ended up with a flock of about 16 sheep, and uh, eventually got bored and sold them all. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but I thought, well, how difficult can it be to be a shepherd, right? It must be fairly straightforward. Uh, when it came to uh, youth work, I think I took a similar approach. It's like, well, you know, I'm, I like hanging out with young people. I'm a kind of a young person at heart, probably will be for the rest of my life. So I'll just, you know, I'll just figure it out as I go along. How hard can it be? As time went on, uh, I was given more responsibility. I was known as the church administrator at one point. I thought, well, again, I, I can probably figure that out. How difficult can it be? You know, it's, I've got self-assurance. It's, it's not like you even think that thought. It's just how you operate. Uh, and then came church leadership. And um, if I'm honest, I probably approached it with a fairly similar thing. I was a bit more nervous, thinking it's, it carries a bit more responsibility, this. Um, but, but, you know, how difficult can it be, right? I mean, surely it's not that difficult. I've got self-assurance. I'll figure it out. That's how I entered the, the kind of role of church leader. Um, now, six months in, let me read to you my journal entry. This was the 8th of October, 2017, about six months after I had formally taken on the role of lead elder. This is what I wrote. I'm starting to wonder whether I actually have what it takes to be the leader of a church. I'm starting to wonder whether I'm actually going to fail at this, whether I'm the right person for this job. I don't feel like I'm doing this job well, like I'm serving any great purpose or affecting any change. I feel like the church is stuck in a rut, isn't moving forward, let alone growing, and I feel it's probably because of me. I don't have enough vision. I don't have enough courage. I don't have enough conviction. I don't have enough clarity on what needs to change. I don't have enough passion. I'm not spiritual enough. I haven't lived enough of a life. I don't have enough motivation. What is stopping me from enabling Gateway to become all that it can be? I don't know which way to go next. I don't know what to tackle. I don't know what God wants us to become. What a mess. <laughs> He actually says that at the end of my journal entry, the 8th of October, 2017. Um, for me, that was a bit of a turning point. The next day, um, I went for a walk on Hobmoor. I think I've got a picture, actually, Tom, if you could uh, put that up for me. Some of you will know Hobmoor. It's just a kind of moorland down the road. It's on my regular prayer walk. I went to Hobmoor. Uh, I found a bench in the middle of Hobmoor, and I bawled my eyes out. And I, everything I had written in my journal the day before, I just went, I, I took it to God. I went, God, here you go. This is, this is where I'm at. Um, I, I laid it all before him. For, for me now, the, the Hobmoor is known to me as the desolation of inadequacy. Because it's a pretty <laughs> desolate place. And it is where I embraced my inadequacy. Rona thinks I'm a bit of a drama llama, which is probably correct. <laughs> Uh, but Hobmo is the desolation of inadequacy. 
um, for me. It was in that place where I came to the conclusion that I don't have what it takes, and that's okay. It was in that place for me that I realized, now, you know, I can look back on it now and I can laugh about it, but at the time, that was me hitting the lowest point of just like, oh my word, I do not have what it takes at all. I didn't, in that moment, I, I didn't, you know, kind of nothing major happened in terms of like the booming voice of God saying, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Like, I didn't have that moment, but I, I hit rock bottom and that was where I hit my, came face to face with my own inadequacy. Do you sometimes feel inadequate? Do you sometimes feel weak? Do you sometimes feel, God, I think I'm just too broken to do what you've called me to do? Or, or even just to do, you know, maybe not the big stuff in life. Maybe for you, it's just the normal day-to-day things of like life and family and parenting and spouse and marriage and your job or getting up on a morning. I don't know what it is that, that you face each day, but are there times where you feel your inadequacy keenly? Are there times where you feel like, I just can't do this, I am too broken, or I'm, I haven't been a Christian long enough, maybe that's what that kind of internal voice says to you, or, or maybe it's just, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm not like so-and-so, so-and-so's got it all together, look at them, their life is brilliant, look at that, I, I could never be like that. I suspect most of us from time to time are very aware of our inadequacy, of our brokenness, our lostness. Now, if that's the case, if you're in that place at the moment, or even if that's just something that you come face to face with time to time, I have got some good news for you today. There is good news for us this weekend if we are feeling weak and empty. And the good news is this. There is power available for you and for me. By the Holy Spirit, God living in us, there is power available to you and to me for our weakness. I want to just run us through quickly in this first section, and all our talks over this weekend are going to be pretty short, and I just want to run us through quickly um, a few verses in the New Testament. We could go for lots and lots, but I just want to run through a few where the Holy Spirit and power, are, it's kind of like you can't separate the, the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's go for Luke 1, verse 35 first. The angel Gabriel, most of you will be familiar with this story. The angel Gabriel comes to a young woman, Mary, to, to deliver the, the earth-shattering news that she is going to give birth to the Son of God. And understandably, she asks a few questions. I think that would be fairly normal. She says, how is that to happen? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. The power of the Most High will come upon you. Let's turn to Luke chapter uh, 4. Jesus, now a man, is about 30. He's been tested in uh, the desert, in the wilderness, um, and um, this is right at the start of his earthly ministry. He's been tempted, tested by the devil, and, uh, and we read this in verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, not just filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. 
Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. Jesus comes back from being tested by the, by the devil. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power. That's how it is described to us. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. And right now at the end, Jesus has been crucified. He's risen again. He meets up with his followers and uh, he's making arrangements for what will happen next. And he says, this is Luke 24, 49. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with what? Fills you with power from heaven. Wait here until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power. Uh, That's Luke obviously writing at the end of his gospel account. He then writes um, a second account of the Acts of the early church. And so we read this in Acts 1. It picks up almost where we left off. Verse Three, a short time later, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then it happens. We know what happens next. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit, with his power, and they are transformed. They go from being hidden away Um, From from being scared, they spill out into the streets. They are supernaturally now able to communicate the good news to those around them because of what? It wasn't just a feel-good factor that made them spill out onto the streets. It wasn't just kind of a a bit of self-belief or self-assurance that gave them the confidence to go out and to preach the good news. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. We then go on to Acts chapter 3. Peter and John... Uh, two of Jesus' followers have just healed a man, and, um, and it was quite spectacular. This man then causes a scene, and a crowd forms around them, and we read this in verse 12. Um, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this, and why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? In other words, whose power do you think this is, and then he goes on to explain to them that it's the same God they have worshipped for generation after generation who has filled them with this power and it has enabled them to heal people. Then in Acts chapter 4, because of this, this same healing, the authorities don't like it. They arrest Peter and John and they bring them before them and they question them. And this is what they ask. It says, they brought in the two disciples and demanded By what power or in whose name have you done this? Peter sees the opportunities. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you by what power we do these things. Acts chapter 4, in a bit of a summary that wraps up this section of Acts in terms of what has happened, uh, it describes this in verse 33. The apostles testified what? Powerfully to the resurrection of of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. Whose power do you think that was? It was not their own power. It was not self-assurance. It was the Holy Spirit's power working through them all. And then in Acts chapter 6, a little bit further on, they're having a bit of a, a, a crisis of leadership. The apostles are trying to do everything. They realize they need some extra people to be raised up as leaders and to be selected to do so. And this is what it says. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Holy Spirit 
and wisdom. They are full of the Holy Spirit. One of them, Stephen, we read a few verses later in Acts 6, verse 8. He is described as in this way. Stephen is about to have his moment, the, the kind of big moment where he stands up, he preaches, and then he is, uh, he is killed because of what he says. So Stephen, this is how he's described. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. We could go on and on. We could look at lots more verses that talk about how the Holy Spirit brings power, but I hope you get a sense there in those few verses. I hope you get a sense that this, this, is, this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit brings power. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things, but one of those key things is he clothes us with power. He brings power to those of us who follow Jesus. This weekend, my hope and my prayer is that we learn more, absolutely, that we understand more of the depth of power that the Holy Spirit can bring to us for every area of life, for whether it's in our relationship with God, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in family, whether it's in our friendships. I pray that we would learn more about the power of the Holy Spirit available to us. But I also pray that we would grow in power, that we would empty ourselves and be filled with the Holy Spirit this weekend. We are going to have opportunity this morning, a bit later on, to pray for one another to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Now, let me just talk you through a little bit of a recipe for how I think this will work best. If you have come feeling empty and weak, then I would suggest you are in the best place possible to be filled with God's power. That has been my experience over the years um, in terms of just that, you know, me having to deal with my inbuilt self-assurance. Um, a few days later, um, I wrote my next journal entry on the 13th, my birthday, 13th of October, um, about five days after I'd gone for that walk with God, and I just described what had happened. Um, said, after writing the last journal entry, the next day I went for a walk and laid it all bare before God. I bawled my eyes out on Hobmo and became broken. I was honest with God about how I feel totally inadequate. I cried out to him for a sign that I'm in the right place. I actually even looked up job adverts for elsewhere to see where I might go and get a job that I could maybe do. Um, I didn't meet with him in any powerful way. I didn't feel him in any particular way. I didn't get a sign. But I'm trying to discern what God is doing in my heart. I wonder, this is very early stages of this process, I guess, I wonder if he was breaking me, needing time to get me to the place where I know I'm totally inadequate for this role. I'm wondering if I need to learn what it means for God to be my strength, not just to give me strength. <laughs> it does end with, I never thought this role would be so hard. God, have your way in me. Um, <laughs> For me, this has been a learning process and I'm still learning it. How do I just keep embracing my own inadequacy? That's why I have, you know, that desolation of inadequacy is on my, you know, I do it multiple times a week, my prayer walk. And every time I get there, I just invite God to remind me to, to just crucify my self-assurance and instead um, just embrace my own inadequacy and receive his power. We actually, this week, we had our first elders meeting with our new team, and um, 
Joe picked me up, got Ben, picked me up, and I was like, don't go to Gateway, we're going to Hobmo first and foremost. And we went and we walked across the desolation of an inadequacy. I was like, we're starting here, guys. They don't need that reminder at this point that they're inadequate. Um, but I thought, what a, what a, you know, let's start properly. <laughs> they already feel it, trust me. <laughs> But I just thought, we, we, need to, we need to start embracing our own weakness and God's strength. This is something that I think Paul uh, was grasping when he wrote to uh, the church in Corinth, his second letter, 2 Corinthians 12. Um, he, uh, he writes this. So you, you might be aware of this passage. He, he's obviously got something going on. He talks about it, a thorn in his side, a thorn in his flesh. There's some challenge that Paul is facing. And in verse 8, he says this. He says, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, and this is what God said to Paul, and I believe this is what God might be saying to each and every one of us today. He says this, my grace is all you need. My power, God's power, works best in weakness. And then he says something remarkable. This is Paul speaking again. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Isn't that a powerful thing? Isn't that a powerful thing? Paul must have learned that. I don't know if he had his own desolation and inadequacy. He certainly had some real challenges. But for him, he, he had come to learn. You know what? My grace, God's grace is all that I need his power works best in my weakness. It doesn't say his power works best alongside my strengths, alongside my self-assurance, alongside me thinking I can do things really well and feeling like I'm up to the task. It says, no, I'm embracing weakness these days. God's power works best in our weakness. Now, I'm coming into land with this, but would you just imagine with me for a moment, what if each and every one of us, managed to, to fully grasp over this weekend in a new and profound way our own inadequacy, but alongside that, the Spirit's adequacy. Like, can you imagine with me what our lives would look like if, if we grasped at a deeper level we, we don't have what it takes and that's the right way to be. <laughs> like, we're, we're not enough. We're not good enough, strong enough, clever enough, kind enough in our own strength. We are deeply inadequate. And yet, the Spirit is adequate for everything that you and I are called to do and to be. Can you imagine with me for a moment what our lives would look like if we grasped that afresh this weekend? Can you imagine what it would be like for our workmates, what, what kind of colleagues we might be, what kind of neighbours we might be to those who live nearby to us, what kind of parents we might be, those of us who, are, who have children. Can you imagine what kind of followers of Jesus we might be, what kind of friends we might be to those around us. If we grasp at a deep spirit level our own inadequacy, the depth of our inadequacy, but alongside, we didn't just stay there, Alongside that, we grasped the Spirit's adequacy and we went from here filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what that would look like? That's the kind of thought that, that excites me. 
about what life could be like if we grasp this at a deeper level. That's my prayer for us this weekend. Why don't you stand? And uh, could we have the musicians back? We're going to worship a little bit more, uh, and then we're going to be thinking about what this looks like in a specific area of life. Bridget's going to be speaking. Um, But I just want to pray, and uh, then we'll worship. God, we we want to make space for you this weekend to move in power. And the first step, I believe, God, in that process is us acknowledging our emptiness, our weakness, our inadequacy before you. God, maybe for some people that comes a little easier. And for people like me who have this kind of inbuilt self-assurance strength thing, it's a bit, we have to work a bit harder but God, whatever it, however that works for each one of us, God, we want to come to you with a, a deep sense of inadequacy, acknowledging our weakness, that we don't have what it takes. God, we want to bring that to you in a healthy way. I'm aware that the enemy will then seek to capitalize on that, and the, the voice of the accuser will come alongside our healthy response of inadequacy, and the accuser will put a therefore in. The accuser will say, therefore, you're written off. Therefore, you could never do this. Therefore, this will never happen in your life. Therefore, you will never be like that person. They are not the healthy thoughts. (laughs) That's not the Holy Spirit. That is the enemy seeking to capitalize on a beautiful moment of surrender that we each need to come before you with. And say, God, we just don't have it all together. God, we don't have all the answers. God, we, we bring you our doubts We bring you our imperfections, our weaknesses, but we embrace your strength and your power and the Spirit's adequacy for us. He is adequate for us. He is enough for us. He will bring us enough power to do what you've called us to. And so we want to embrace that right from the outset today. We want to come to you empty, God. We lay down our lives. We, we want to crucify any sense of pride we come with. We want to say, God, we, we want to rid ourselves of pride and ego and thinking that we're good enough in our own strength, thinking that we can do meaningful things in our own strength. We lay it all before you now. God, let that be our starting point for this weekend together. And I pray that you would build us back up from there, from that starting point over the coming sessions and and days, that you would build us back up and fill us with your spirit. We want to come before you now and empty ourselves of anything we need to empty before you. We embrace our inadequacy today and we celebrate and welcome your adequacy. Your grace is enough for me, Jesus. Thank you, God.